0: Biblical wisdom is competency, it's skill, in the way that life really works. It's street smarts as well as book smarts. It's taking the nuts and bolts of life, these choices, these decisions, these experiences, all of these things, and having them fit together in a way that's sturdy. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This Sunday, we're looking at foundations and wisdom. Listen to God's Word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables the sayings and riddles of the wise the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline drop down to verse 22 this is Lady Wisdom calling out she says how long will you simple ones love your simple ways how long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge verse 32 for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them this is a word of the lord thanks be to god we face choices every day what you're wearing this morning you made a choice where you'll go to lunch after the service whether it be home or somewhere out that will be a choice as well it's back to school time and I think we had tax-free weekend this weekend and back in the day when it was school was coming up in a couple weeks we would go back to school shopping and that would mean a usually a pair of shoes and when I was a wee lad that meant one thing you go to Belk department store in my case, it was Belk and Greer, which is Belk-Simpson. And you had two choices in shoes. You could either get leather or you could get canvas. Now, leather costs more than canvas, but that was your two choices of material. And as far as color, you had three choices. If you got Nike tennis shoes, and, and tennis shoes covered everything athletic, whatever. Basketball, tennis, running, they were called Tennis shoes and your little swoosh could either be red, it could either be white, or your third choice was navy blue. That was it. Leather canvas, red, white, or blue stripe, that was it. Friday, my wife and four children go to Academy Sports to get shoes. Toto, we're not in Kansas, Kansas anymore. Four rows about 150 feet each, stacked 20 feet up with just kids' shoes. Any type of, of combination you can imagine was there off Woodruff Road. A more serious decisions, rather than a pair of shoes, that I've heard from some of you recently. Did I make the right decision to go to the college that I'm going to in just a couple weeks? Should I date this girl or marry this guy when should we start trying to have children we've tried to have children for three years and are having trouble should we explore fertility treatments and how far should we go with that should I take a job that sounds like a good opportunity for me but it will mean uprooting my family and going somewhere else. What should I do? What type of care should we look at for an aging parent? And and what sibling is going to take the lead on that? And how are we going to pay for it? Heard that last week or two. I've also heard from a couple of our senior saints who happen to be widows, and and this is the tension they face, the choice that they face. Again, these choices aren't black or white. They're not obviously good, obviously evil. They're not moral choices. They're ambiguous. They're gray. And here's what I'm hearing from them. Should I remarry? Because if I do remarry, I lose some financial gain. I lose Social Security. and I'm not sure how that's going to work if I remarry. Or if I remarry, it just gets complicated. Combining families, how all that works, maybe we just date indefinitely. They're trying to put the pieces together there. Do I have surgery? Replace a hip, a knee, a shoulder? Or just kind of bear with the pain decisions that we all are faced with that don't have an obvious right or wrong answer so what do we need to make good decisions with all the choices that we have today what do we need we need what the Bible calls wisdom and the book of Proverbs is our place to find it it describes how to be a wise person what is wisdom and we can see here from Proverbs 1 if you want to look at what wisdom is look at the synonyms that Solomon uses to describe wisdom verse 2 he says for understanding words of insight and insight is this Hebrew word that has this idea of of being able to notice find distinctions, to see differences that maybe other people can't see, to imagine other possibilities that may not be obvious at first glance. It's like that master detective that can walk into a crime scene and he or she can see 30 different clues where other people only see one or two. It's the ability to really really see fine distinctions and possibilities that others can't. It's why you do something. Verses 3 and 4 have these words such as prudence. And we don't use that word prudence much today, unless you're President H.W. Bush in the 90s, wouldn't be prudent. But prudence has this idea of being very practical, knowing how to get things done, how to take a goal from a goal to a reality to its completion. It's how to solve problems. Prudence is not just insight, seeing distinctions, it's also foresight, how to get things done. It's the doer. It's what you do not just why you do it. And another word here that Solomon uses to describe wisdom is instruction. Instruction, and that encompasses under this umbrella of wisdom. And instruction has this idea of depth of character. Instruction has this idea that wisdom has morality to it it must be done with integrity wisdom has integrity it's how you do something the way you go about doing something so we take these words insight prudence instruction just three of five or six and and we put those all together what is wisdom maybe we could say it like this it's skill and understanding how life works It's an ability to make good decisions based on knowledge, acting on these decisions in a way that's effective and makes a difference in life. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. Biblical wisdom is competency, it's skill, in the way that life really works, it's street smarts as well as book smarts. It's taking the nuts and bolts of life, these choices, these decisions, these experiences, all of these things, and having them fit together in a way that's sturdy, that doesn't break. That's wisdom. Secondly, why is wisdom important? Look at, again, at verse. 32, what does Solomon say? He says, for the waywardness of the simple, what what is the result of the waywardness of the simple? Is it simply that they will have a bad day? The waywardness of the simple will do what to them? It will kill them. And the complacency of fools will do what? that's why it's important does anyone here want to be killed or destroyed don't raise your hand okay that's not a good result that's why wisdom is important who are the simple and the wise or who are the simple and the foolish you see Solomon assigns character throughout the book of Proverbs for those who are simple and those who are foolish. That's a a tag. He kind of hangs a whole idea of of who people are. And so he describes the simple as being naive, that the simple are too unformed in life to make good decisions. The simple are those who have not had um, life smack them in the face enough To know what to do they haven't learned from their mistakes it's what my dad said they haven't learned from the school of experience the school of hard knocks which is often harsh but pretty effective right the naive the young the foolish haven't done that yet that's why they're simple one old testament scholar in the commentary describes foolish people as being Set in his ways, and I'll use the masculine pronoun. There are probably some women here maybe that are foolish, but maybe not. It's probably more of a male thing. Self-righteous, opinionated, stubborn, hard to persuade, pushes back against instruction, against correction. Foolish people are sure that they know. You know anyone like that? obviously not anyone here but might you know someone like that in your neighborhood or in your workplace both simple and foolish aren't in tune with the way that life really works how life is put together what to do in a given situation and they aren't able to read a situation and respond appropriately you see biblical wisdom friends It's not one size fits all. The simple and the foolish don't get that. They don't see those distinctions. And here's the way Solomon plays that out later in the book. In chapter 26, he has these two couplets together, and he says this. He says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So, you're to answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. And just below that, he says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself, which you don't want to be. Okay, so which is it? Do you answer a fool, or do you not answer a fool? See, we can't read Proverbs as a a, a list of rules set in cement. That's not their purpose, because we know life doesn't work that way, does it? Proverbs describes wisdom as navigating life well in real time, in the moment when you're facing decisions that there's no obvious right answer to, answer a fool don't answer a fool this isn't a contradiction what solomon is saying is sometimes you do sometimes you don't as kenny rogers says you gotta know when to hold them know when to what hold them takes wisdom in that situation maybe luck in kenny rogers situation But a wise person knows the difference. The simple and the foolish don't. And here's a kicker for us in an instant have-it-now culture. The wisdom that Solomon is speaking of here in Proverbs isn't instant. It takes years even decades, of being humbled, of suffering, of being corrected, of not being wise in our own eyes, of being mentored, of having accountability in the context of community. Well, you maybe get called out on your sin. It's what one author calls a A long obedience in the same direction that's that's wisdom and it doesn't happen in an afternoon you can't get it in a long weekend I'm sorry I wish you could it's hard takes years but it's worth it because what's the alternative death destruction bad decisions That blow up on you and many of us sitting here have had bad decisions that's blown up on us and we're trying to put the pieces back together review what's wisdom wisdom involves insight it involves understanding it involves prudence not done quickly takes years second it's important because not having it can end in death so the question The question that I hope you're asking yourself as we move to a conclusion, given all this, how do we get wisdom? Where do we find it? And Solomon anticipates that question and gives us the answer here in verse 7. And and verse 7 is, if you want to distill the whole book of Proverbs down to a verse, down to a phrase, it's found in verse 7. Look at it with me. Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, let me make sure that you're tracking with me this morning. Because, to me, fear is not a good thing. In life, not good to fear. And even in the Bible, fear is not seen as a good thing normally. Perfect love casts out all fear. Paul says that God has given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of love and of power and of self discipline. So, why does, why does Solomon say? that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because obviously here fear is a good thing. You want to have fear, right? How so? Maybe I can explain it like this. There's two ways to be fearful when you come into the presence of another person. See if you agree. The first, first way to be fearful is if you think that that person will hurt you, maybe will hit you, will physically do violence to you, or maybe that person will say something mean to you or has said something mean to you which actually hurts worse than being physically hit, and we'll talk about that when we deal with the power of words in a couple weeks if you think that that person will do that and you don't trust that person there's a sense of fear there when you're in his or her presence right you are just on edge you don't know what's coming and you have a sense of fear and there's another way to come into the presence of a person And have fear as well. But it's different from that kind of fear. How, How many of you have ever met your hero? Someone that you just idolized. Maybe as a young boy or girl. Maybe as an adult. A sports figure. An entertainer. Maybe you were a Reagan man or woman. And you saw him campaigning in the 80s. And you just met Ronald Reagan. And it was... How many of you have ever done that? What what was going on inside as you approached that person? What were you feeling? Was your heart beating a little faster? Was your adrenaline kicking in and you kind of had this nervous energy? (laughs) Did you maybe sort of when you approach that person, almost felt like you reflexively or instinctively almost needed to bow before them because you so respected them and you so revered them and you held them in such high regard that you had this this fear. But it's a a good kind of fear. It's, It's a joyful kind of fear as you made your way into their presence and maybe maybe you were close enough that you got to touch him or her or maybe you enjoyed conversation with them for a brief moment and it blew you away <laughs> you were undone after that you walked away and said "My eyes have seen the glory I'm ready to go they had such an impact on you friends that's one verse seven that's the fear that Solomon's talking about that sense of awe and wonder and delight in the presence of the king you see the difference there do you see how that type of fear might can lead to wisdom If God means this much to you, if you take such delight in him, you wouldn't be simple and wayward because you wouldn't care what other people thought because you have Jesus as your treasure. And you wouldn't be foolish and you wouldn't so much depend on your own way and be looking at yourself because you'd be looking at him. You wouldn't have to be right. How do you get this kind of good fear that leads to wisdom? You have to be absolutely sure that, in spite of your flaws, that in spite of your sin, that in spite of your bad decisions that have not had good consequences in your life, that God's not out to get you. And if you're sitting here this morning, and you're knuckling under this weight of the fear of God, let me tell you what the gospel says. And and if when I say, how do you perceive God, if worry crowds out worship, you haven't understood the good news of the gospel. You haven't understood that Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. When you know you don't stand condemned, you get wisdom by drawing drawing close to God, by being in his presence, by praying, by gathering for worship, both here as a corporate body and alone, by reading his word, by getting to know him and getting to know your own heart. When you do that, friends, wisdom will mark your life, slowly but surely. And there's a good kind of foolishness that Paul talks about also. It's the foolishness of the cross. Only by going to the cross and taking the punishment that we deserve could God end evil without ending us. That's good news. If you want to become a Christian... It's subversive, it's paradoxical. You have to become a fool, the right kind of fool, a fool for Christ. And you have to admit that you've been a fool. A Proverbs 1 fool, wise in your own eyes. And you have to embrace the foolishness of the cross. Do you need to do that this morning? The children's book, Wind in the Willows, has rat and mole going to look for baby otter and they stumble into the very presence of God. The book says, suddenly the mole felt a great awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head and rooted his feet to the ground. It was not panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. Rat! He found breath to yell, shaking. Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured Rat, his eyes shining with love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never, never. And yet, and yet, oh mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals crouching to the earth bowed their heads and worshiped that's the fear of the lord that solomon's talking about the psalmist in 130 verse 4 says because i see your forgiveness therefore i will fear you the psalmist is saying i see how gracious you are And it makes me tremble, tremble in a good way. Solomon is saying to us joyful fear brings wisdom near. Friends, pursue that wisdom found in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we need insight, we need prudence, we need understanding. And yet, paradoxically, we also need to be fools, fools for Christ. Would you help us pursue that this morning by your grace? We pray in his name. Amen. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.